Night Talk, Monday to Thursdays, 10 to midnight. It is 37 minutes after 10 p.m. You're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. It is an absolute honor and pleasure uh, being in your company this evening. Have you been on the receiving end of a crime, on the experiencing end of a crime? Is your perpetrator behind bars? And is it the type of crime that should they have completed serving their time, you could forgive them for? Right? In fact, that's a question that comes up when uh, people who have been sentenced apply for parole, as and when they qualify on a timeline perspective for parole. That's but just one requirement to, uh, uh, um, uh, to, 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 to qualify for parole. But there's a normative question where the parole board has to make a value judgment around whether there's been sufficient restoration. There's an encouragement on the part of families of victims and victims themselves to find it within themselves to forgive their perpetrators. I want to know from you, are you a victim of such crime? Have you forgiven your perpetrator? But more than that, if you're an ex-convict that served time for having committed a crime, do you feel that the time you have served qualifies as you having corrected with society and that you ought to be accepted back into society as a full member of society? It's a difficult question to answer, especially if you were convicted of something like rape or murder um, or any of a slew of heinous crimes that are so significant a transgression of our social contract that the sentences associated to them are often prescribed sentences, but also really long sentences where you lose out a significant amount of time of your life on the outside as a full citizen. Not that you're any lesser citizen, but as a full member of society is what I meant over there. But more than that, does our criminal justice prioritize the correct things? We prioritize things such as correction. Can we correct the convict? That's the first question, and there's an attempt to do so. Albeit, given uh, the rate of returns or recidivism rate, that word always trips me. It's quite clear that we're not good at correction. Then the second thing that is important to us is restoration. But do we even do that at all? Or do we only speak about restoration in theory? And we speak often of restoration from the principle of Ubuntu and the principle of, of, of uh, forgiveness and the principle of restoring and healing society given the history that we have. Punitive justice and retributive justice almost falls to the end of that um, spectrum of priorities. Are we unique in that? Do those prioritizations work? And is there a need to have a conversation about changing those set of prioritizations? 
Dr. Simon Howell, a senior researcher at the Center for Criminology at the University of Cape Town, joins us for this conversation. That was a very long intro. I'm sorry, but it's important that we lay out that foundation and context. Um, Dr. Howell, thank you so much for your time. I really, really do appreciate it. Perhaps let's start there. Is that the uh, correct order of prioritizations that our criminal justice system has at its heart? And are they working for us? Well, thanks. <laughs> That's a quite a complicated question. But um, let's, I mean, you know, I think we need to, uh, to start at a normative level. And one is that, you know, in South Africa, we have, we have articulated justice as a restorative process when I think often we seek a retributive process. Um, and as a result, a lot of people do not feel satisfied by the restorative process or the, you know, the corrections process as a whole and feel often that people you know, get away with murder, literally. Um, so that's the one area I think that is concerning. Uh, the other is in terms of the corrections process itself, while you know, we have gone to a point of naming it corrections, um, there's of course the question, the question is, what are you correcting and do you want to correct it and B, can you correct it? LC rather. And, um, you know, I, I think there is, there is a point where a lot of crimes in South Africa are a function of the context and environment in which, a lot, you know, contemporary South Africa yeah. is, unfortunately. And as a result, you know, I mean, it's not something, you know, correcting an individual's behavior ultimately is laying blame on the individual, one could argue, rather than the society. So, you know, there's that issue of that as well, is that, you know, and, and there's also, you know, the psycho, psychometric level of things of can you correct someone's behavior in a way that is actually substantive and long lasting. So there's a lot going on, essentially. <laughs> you you would know just how controversial that part of, of the last part of what you said is a conversation in society and even in academia, right? There's a yeah. there's a big divide between ethicists uh, and and criminal philosophers around the question of prison abolitionism, right? For instance, mm. cr prison, prison abolitionists believe that criminals are a product of society and it is, as you rightfully say, a society that needs to be corrected. South Africa is a deeply, deeply violent society. And oftentimes it is learned violent that we reproduce. Um, and, crimin and, 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 and abolitionists make the argument that it is not a criminal's fault that they're violent, it's society's fault that they're violent. But if you're on the receiving end or the experiencing end of such violence and crime, uh, that, that argument doesn't seem to land for you. It's an individual choice. Um, and, 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 and that's where the divide happens. Many people say, well, we all have a choice to commit a particular crime or not. And the fact that certain people choose to do so, they ought to live uh, and reconcile themselves with the consequences of that. Um, and, and, and then that brings us here. You say we aim to restore, but we don't quite know what we're restoring. Is it then the duty of the criminal justice system to attempt to restore a widespread, deep-rooted societal issue? And in this instance, we can isolate violence, for instance, and say, is it the criminal justice system to, to pontificate around how do we undo the learned and ingrained violence that our society lives and reproduces, or is that uh, a question for the entirety of our state apparatus? Well, you know, the, I mean, the question I would immediately have is, can justice and the justice you know, sector begin to that process at all? I mean, do they have the capability to do so? Um, while, you know, I mean, they, they, offer, they offer tools towards that, that, um, that process. I mean, you know, ultimately, if we're going to say that violence itself is, you know, the cyclical um, underpinnings of, of a lot of crime and a lot of violence, and, you know, that ultimately we need to deal with that 
who do we look to to begin dealing with that and how do we deal with it? I think in South Africa, often we seek the, 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 the you know, the, 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 the the output of the police and the actions of the police as a means of dealing with a lot of social issues. You know, I mean, we tend to make a, a lot of social issues into criminal issues and a result of which is that we send in the police and the police are the, are the wrong tool for the job in many, many instances. Um, you know, I'm thinking of drugs and gangs and the like where, yes, they may have a role to play, but ultimately they are not the right tool for solving the problems underpinning these issues. So in the same, in the same vein, you know, I mean, the Department of Corrections and the justice sector as a whole may have some responsibility to dealing with and, and helping amend specific crimes as you know committed by individuals but at, at a societal level i think you know i mean a lot of internal reflection needs to occur as to what exactly we want from society and what exactly we can achieve or you know how we can begin this process because um south africa i think south african society has become very violent and, and it's it's becoming harder and harder to see ways of manifesting something other than what currently exists frankly and um, and that's quite a depressing thought thought but i just you know it's, it's becoming more and more complex as to how we can solve these problems in is, a manner is, that by the is, way if we were to prioritize if we were to prioritize the opposite end of the spectrum right if we were to prioritize retribution and uh punishment how would we do so especially if you think about really heinous crimes like murder and rape, how would we do so short of, say, capital punishment? Um, are there ways in which retribution and, and punishment exist in the world that doesn't subscribe necessarily to capital punishment? What does it even look like? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the only thing you can do is increase increase sentencing terms and you know, prison terms um, other than capital punishment. And a lot of people in South Africa seem to believe that capital punishment is ultimately a means both of, of preventing crime and, you know, decreasing people's desire to commit crime and, of course, dealing with crime that has committed. I mean, despite the statistics from many other places showing that this is not the best solution in the toolbox, um, I know a lot of people do believe so, and I understand why, because so many people have been victim to crime in this country. And as a result, you know, I mean, when you are a victim of crime, it, it retributive justice provides the most you know the most immediate relief to those crimes whereas for offenders restorative justice is obviously usually the, the pathway they would take um and that's where the concern of rehabilitation and forgiveness comes about in, in our corrections system um you know i mean but ultimately i mean how do we how do we change things and how do we you know if we had a retributive system all you can do is increase prison terms and frankly that's that's a very costly and it's a very slow way of trying to provide some form of justice which i don't think is effective in in the whole anyway yeah, you know? yeah. i mean you can you can put people in prison for however long you want but people ultimately make a life in prison for themselves and i don't think that is the type of retributive justice people have in mind when they think of prison um, for one, mm -hmm. and B, you know, I mean, what's the point? What are you? I mean, you're spending a lot of money sending people to the outside, you know, to the outskirts of society, and deeming them to be beyond the pale, and that they must now sit and rot in jail. But I mean, you know, what are you actually achieving here? I think is a question that needs to be asked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, when it when it comes to, and I, I'm I'm so glad that you point out that there's no evidence, and the data doesn't, uh, um, you know, support the idea that the death penalty reduces crime or very specifically and particularly reduces murder um, in fact uh, states and 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 uh, countries that have the death penalty have just as big a crime problem a murder problem as states without the death penalty um, so as a deterrent uh, it's it's not an effective tool but a lot of people believe in it as a tool for retribution um, and there are other justice systems 
built upon that idea, such as Sharia law, uh, if we look at, at uh, you know, uh, the Muslim world. Uh, let's speak to that for, for a second. Um, the idea, for instance, and I know that there are, uh, there's a school of however, uh, you know, narrow, parochial, and perhaps even isolated, but there's a school of radical feminism that believes in the idea of castration uh, as a punishment for rape, for instance. Does that prove to be uh, an effective retributive tool? Uh, for instance, do we know if victims of, 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 of a crime that, uh, rape victims, for instance, whose perpetrators are castrated, do they feel any sort of restoration and retribution having been done sufficiently um, in, in, in such an instance? Or is it as hollow a tool as capital punishment? Well, I think, you know, the one problem with retributive justice or forms of retributive justice, and this includes capital punishment, is that in order to apply retributive justice, you have to be absolutely certain that the person you're applying the justice to is guilty of the things you say they are. And while that may be simple in terms of, you know, a small community pointing out to someone who who, did, who committed a crime or whatever, and, you know, that, that that's a small community and everyone knows each other, it, at the state level and at a government level, governance level, it is it can be quite difficult. And it presupposes a functioning justice system which can has the tools and can correctly identify the individuals responsible for the crimes for which they need to be punished. Now... The problem, of course, is from a, at a philosophical level, at least, is that so long as there is even the, the, the smallest amount of doubt as to whether we can achieve this or whether it is possible, then retributive justice becomes very difficult to justify because you may end up killing or hurting or maiming someone who is ultimately innocent. And the problem, you know, is that, that there is no there is no reconciliation. Then it's simply that you have maimed or killed someone who ultimately was innocent. So there's that issue. And that I think that is the major issue that is ultimately in conflict with our democratic principles and the constitutional democracy ideal that we enshrine in this country and why I think restorative justice is ultimately trumped. But, you know, I mean, as to whether it gives people satisfaction, well, I, I, I actually don't know. I mean, it may. But the, the, of course, the, for me, the critical issue, at least, is that you've got to be able, you've got to be very certain that the person you're, you are committing retributive justice to is guilty of the things you say. And, 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 and I guess proponents of that school of thought uh, would have to also make the argument that our criminal justice system is infallible. Is that a possible yeah. argument to make? Well, I don't think so, frankly. Um, um, I think it's very valuable. <laughs> so, you know, this is this is a, from a governance perspective one of the biggest issues is that you've got you've got to have such a system in place that can distinguish between guilt and innocence at the absolute level, and to say that this person is guilty and that is definitively what is the the you know what we we judge to be. And I mean, yes, there may be evidence, but you know, I mean, to get to that point in time to that type of certainty is very difficult in a court of law i think and and it's very difficult and there's a lot of pressure on people to then you know make those decisions because ultimately you're deciding between someone's life or ability to continue yeah. using their hands or whatever i guess <laughs> our, our our criminal justice system, system and any justice system across the world is fallible right uh, that mm. we will never have it 100% correct in 100% of cases uh, and we and 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 having absolute uh, correct judgments and outcomes across the board uh, is 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 unlikely to be the case but it doesn't mean that absolute uh, correctness can't be established in certain instances or in many instances for instance where a murderer um, you know for instance pleads guilty to their murder where a rapist pleads guilty to the rape they have committed 
In that instance, there's no room for doubt. <laughs> they did it. They told you they've done it. And the evidence seems to overwhelmingly support uh, such a conclusion. In that instance, um, surely we can then perhaps have a conversation about, um, you know, the exercise of retribution without the doubt uh, of, uh, you know, it being ir uh, irreversible in the instance that we may have been incorrect. Well, yes and no. So, yes, I mean, that is a good example, but there is two. One is that, you know, the person may be acknowledging guilt because they were they were told to or, you know, they were tortured or whatever. Right. So that, you know, there is that that they were they didn't do so of their own accord. And B, there's also the concern that if the person knows that they the death penalty will be applied and they still admit that they did whatever they did that that caused them to obtain that sentence that, that you know that when they do that they may be doing for personal reasons that ultimately give them some sort of satisfaction or whatever and as a right. result the retributive justice process isn't going to be as satisfying for people who are applying it because the person you know the person who's 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 now admitting guilt is ultimately taking away from that process and you know that's not the heinous the heinous death that the person is that the, the people that have been traumatized by the, by the crime are will want ultimately you know it, yeah. it's it's that the person wants to be killed so i mean it's <laughs> to be used a very simple example and as a result then you know retributive justice becomes far less uh, powerful a tool i think for in the eyes of those who wish to have it applied yeah. it remains philosophical philosophically yeah. sticky uh, let's take a quick break on the other side of this we continue the conversation i'm taking your reactions give me a call 86 i'm taking your whatsapp voice notes on 0614-104-107 night talk with oliver dixon Five minutes to 11 o'clock. You're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for your time this evening. I'm really, I really, really appreciate it. I'm in conversation with Dr. Simon Howell, and we're discussing criminal justice. Are we prioritizing the right set of things, and are we doing it correctly? Uh, Simon, I do want to then take it here. We prioritize uh, uh, rehabilitation and correction, but we're very bad at it, it seems. Or we have a recidivism rate that is quite high. I don't know how that compares to the rest of the world uh, in, in, in relative terms, but in isolation on its own merits, I think it's quite high. Um, that means we're not doing rehabilitation and correction correctly. Why are we so bad at it? Well, you know, I think uh, recidivism is, is quite high in most places uh, around the world. I mean, it depends on crime, obviously, and crime type, but recidivism is a function of you know, I think we need to understand that the, the idea of prison is really a relatively new concept uh, in the, the, the broader history of, of societies. And as a result, you know, it's, it's not necessarily something that is instilled or, or you know, that is that is seen as the absolute best way of doing things. It just happens to be the way we do things at the moment. Um, in South Africa, I think, you know, the Department of Corrections, there are a lot of good people in the Department of Corrections and it gets tired. They often get tired of the same brush, which is problematic because they, there's a lot of good people that do a lot of good work there within the, the confines of that domain they they you know they work very hard but of course the question is and as you mentioned you know is, is this an effective methods of doing things and i often i often do wonder whether it is because you know i mean the, the first question is what are you rehabilitating or how are you going to rehabilitate i mean you know, what is the process to rehabilitate someone who has murdered someone else is you know i mean really like how how would this process be cashed out in real life and secondly you know i mean what do you hope to achieve do you hope to achieve a point where this person says i will never murder again um and if so i mean how do you guarantee that or secondly you know what do you want to achieve something because often you know in our creation system there's idea of, of forgiveness and that the family or the person who has been been 
a victim of the crime is brought in and they have a conversation between, you know, the, the, the perpetrator and the victim. And, you know, the question is, is, this, is, is there a point where we can definitively say forgiveness has happened? Because I seem to think so. But, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is, these are actual definitive mm. states that can be achieved. And so the question, of course, is, well, what's the point of all of this? What, why are we going down this road in the first place? What, I mean, ultimately, do we, do we hope to achieve? And the bigger irony for me is that within our system of, you know, trying to correct people and stuff, as soon as they get out of prison, people that are being in prison have a criminal, a, a criminal record and they, as a result, can't get a job. And they are, it's very difficult for people to reintegrate themselves into our society, both as a result of stigma and, you know, but also a result of official issues around jobs and, and having that sort of stamp on your forehead that says you've been a prisoner. So we can speak corrections and, you know, forgiveness and the like, but yet we fail to allow people to be reintegrated into our society after they've been into prison, which in my mind completely undermines the whole point and the whole you know, concept of corrections and rehabilitation in the first place. Yeah. And then just just mm-hmm. finally, um, is there an example in the world? Uh, I mean, no criminal justice system is perfect, but there is there one as close to an imagined utopia could be that seemingly works? Um, Norway. <laughs> Norway has a very good prison system. Um, and I say good uh, with a caveat that for many people, they say it is very soft and it is. It, but it is ultimately you know, a, I mean, their prisons look like that, uh, my, you know, my university dorm yeah. room. Well, they, yeah, I mean, they look nicer than many university dorm, room, dorm rooms. And they are, I mean, they're meant to be spaces where people actually deal with the issues that, you know, they they had or that drove them to commit the crimes they did. But of course, you know, Norway is a very different society to our own. Um, it's got a very high level of income. People have high levels of education and, you know, there's a lot of government services and et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it, it's a very, it's quite a homogenous society. Whereas in South Africa, we don't have that. We have a very difficult society to police, to, to engage with and, and ultimately to govern. And especially one that, you know, to deal with in terms of corrections. I mean, you know, so I don't think it would work here. It yeah. would be too expensive and it wouldn't. But, but, you know, as a model, in conceptually, it does stand out as something that can work within the confines of that society. In South Africa, our, our complexity both makes us magical but also makes us very difficult to govern and as a result i, I don't know how it would work here can you honest. just in 30 in quick 30 seconds uh, i'm a little bit over time and we have to go to the news um but in just quick 30 seconds what is it that they do in Norway? i know that for instance they prison isn't uh, complete isolation from society that there's some level of interaction and uh, integration between active prisoners uh, and society yeah. Uh, in 30 seconds, it's skills development, job creation or job you know, development, uh, psychological reintegration and dealing with the issues uh, and, you know, giving people an identity and, and belief in themselves and the skills to actually, you know, do something useful within society again. Do they have the lowest prison population in the world? Uh, I'm not sure. I would have to check that. But they do have a very low prison population, yeah. Yep, going to have to leave you there. Thank you so much for your time, Simon Winkler. Really, really do appreciate it. It's a minute after 11 o'clock. I'm taking your reactions. 086-000-2032. Let's take a break. It's time for the news. Night Talk with Oliver Dixon.